Well, it's been a while since I've been with you guys. Actually, I was telling Ned, I think the last time um, I was with uh, Paradise Springs, you were in the old building. So if you're new to the church and this is the only building you know, <laughs> then I probably haven't met you because it's been, it's been at least three, three or four years. And of course, it's been a crazy 12 to 18 months, hasn't it? Right? The world almost seems like it's been turned upside down on us. Uh, kind of interesting. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I don't want to take too much time here this morning, but um, one of the things that I do, I do a whole bunch of things. I'm a professor, as Ned said, and I oversee a network of house churches. I'm uh, the lead teacher at a um, church called Lifehouse Community Church in Surprise. Um, and so I, there, there's so many things I do. And um, one of the things that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime um, is churches closed down like for extended periods of time right everywhere like uh, and i remember this was over a decade ago i, I used to be a pastor of a tradit i call it a tr traditional type of church you know very much brick and mortar you know build it they'll come that type of mentality regular evangelical church good church but one of the reasons that i i eventually left there is my wife and i had such a burden on our hearts that we didn't feel like people were becoming disciples of Jesus and replicating disciples of Jesus. Don't get me wrong, a lot of good people, a lot of great people, good brothers in the Lord, sisters in the Lord. Uh, but we felt like we were putting on programs and, and, and stuff like that. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there was never multiplication or making disciples who make disciples. And so eventually the Lord led us to resign from that uh, really scary time because I went from um, you know, paid vocational ministry, right? Benefits, everything to zero. We were going to start church in our home. We were going to start to be a, a, a community uh, in our own community uh, of Jesus followers who were going to replicate Jesus followers. And so it was a really kind of scary time period in our life. But we were on, our, our whole thing was, is how do we train believers and send them? So it was the opposite of most churches where most churches want to get people and keep them. We wanted to get rid of our people. So we had about 50 people starting off in our living room. And our goal was within three years, the majority of them would be gone replicating what we were doing in our neighborhood and theirs. That was our goal. Uh, and by the way, we saw that. We saw eight families take up root, some even out of state, and start replicating the Jesus way of living in their communities. And so now we have like these spin-off house churches uh, in Tampa, in New Jersey, in Colorado. We have one in California and we have several here in the Valley. And they've even now, because again, the DNA gets passed on and we've said, okay, so you're going in your community. The whole idea is to get a bunch of Jesus followers and send them. So we have now fourth generation house churches out there, people that I've never met and probably won't until we get to glory someday. Um, but this is kind of the impulse that we had and we started and now we're at Lifehouse Community Church doing the same thing with this old traditional Mennonite church in Surprise and training their people to go into their neighborhoods and being able to replicate the same. So that's kind of a big part of uh, what I do during the week. Um, Richard asked me to come because he said that um, you guys are going to be starting a series on spiritual gifts. 
And the last time I was with the church, and like I said, this had to be about three years ago, we went through a, um, I don't know, seven, eight week Wednesday night thing on missional essentials and how to be able to reproduce this in neighborhoods. Um, and so now he's going on spiritual gifts. And he asked me if I would come and speak on a specific passage. It's a passage in Ephesians where Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. Um, and, and some of you are probably even familiar with this passage, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where it says, and Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some to be teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Um, and so we're going to look at that this morning. But before we do, um, I, I guess it's just um, my nature where I, I hate just like parachuting into a text without giving some context, right? Because if we go right into verse 11 and 12 of Ephesians 4, we're, we're kind of not going to miss the heartbeat of what Paul's message is, right? I mean, we just can't drop in like that. So uh, the first thing I want to do is I want to give you New Testament context. I want to give you Jesus's words, okay? Matthew chapter 16, right? Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, right? You're all familiar with that? Make a little note if you're taking notes this morning and remember that. Jesus says, I will build my church. I don't, I, I, I must have read that passage a thousand times before all of a sudden, like the light bulb went off and I said, wait a minute, this is Jesus's church and he builds it. I don't have to. Whew. As a pastor, I don't know if you have the uh, or if you, if you haven't been involved in full-time vocational ministry, I don't know if you, you feel that weight just drip off. Because that's what I felt. I just was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to build this church. It's not my church. I don't have to build it. This is great. I've been trying so hard, right, to figure out programs and services and orders of things and everything. This is his church. He builds it and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And then there's another passage that he leaves us with, Jesus before he ascends, right? And most of you are familiar with this one too. It's at the end of the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, right? Where he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you to do. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So I want, I want you to get those two passages. He's building his church. We make disciples. Not the other way around, right? That's, that's, he, does, he does the church building. We're called to make disciples. So I want to challenge each one of us this morning, right? As we think about Ephesians 4 and the, and the spiritual gifted men and women that Christ gives to the local church, for the work of the ministry, to make disciples, I want you to understand that background, because that's important, that that's what Jesus says, right? That's, that's the order of events. And so I want to challenge each and every one of us this morning, and I had to challenge myself with this years ago, and I felt as sorry as sorry gets, right? But I want to say to you, each one of you, I'm sure have heard this message, that we as believers in Jesus, those of us who have put our faith and our trust in Christ and in him alone for eternal life, receive eternal life, and we also face King Jesus one day at the judgment seat of Christ. You will face King Jesus. 
I will face King Jesus. We will stand before him eye to eye one day, and we will have to give an account of our lives. Now, please don't misunderstand. This account of our lives has nothing to do with whether we get in or not, right? This has nothing to do with heaven. That's not what we're talking about. That's, this is a family judgment where he says to you and he says to me, so you know that, that one thing I left you guys to do was make disciples? How'd you do? He's going to look you in the eye and say, so tell me about your three. Tell me about your 12. Tell me about your 70. He's going to ask me that. And I'm scared to death that most Christians will sit there with their jaws wide open and a glazed over look in their eyes. And they'll say, but Lord, we went to church 50 out of 52 weeks. Lord, I, I served the church. I made the coffee every morning. I handed out the program. Now, now, don't get me wrong. If you're a coffee maker and handed out the program, I'm not trying to diminish that role. It's a very important role. But if that's what you got to stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, when he asks you that someday, I'm not sure that's going to fly. So we have to be about the Father's business. And the Father's business is about disciple making, facilitating Jesus followers who facilitate Jesus followers. That simple. Now, it's not easy, as we, those of you who have tried No, but it is simple. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians with that backdrop in mind. So I want you to try to keep those things in the back of your mind as we're moving through this, because I think that gives us the reason why we're to do what we do, right? It's not just out of thin air. Lord, uh, give us the... Um, Lord, give us the understanding that we need to have, Lord, not, not from me. I, I pray what I say and what I do this morning honors and glorifies you. I pray that if there's something I say that's out of line or something that's not in accordance with your will, that I wouldn't say it, uh, or you would just shut off the hearing of everybody at that particular moment, um, Lord, but I trust you to give the right words at the right time for the right purpose. Lord, I thank you, and we all thank you for the incredible, wonderful, unfathomable free gift, unconditional free gift of eternal life that comes by putting our trust in the perfect one, your son. He did all the work on our behalf and we do nothing to merit or earn or deserve eternal life. He did it all on our behalf and we're eternally grateful. But Lord, we're grateful for another thing. We're grateful for the fact that Jesus wants us to rule and reign with him someday in the world to come. And he is coming back to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he wants each one of his followers to be able to rule and reign with him. But that comes at a great cost, Lord. We understand the difference between the free gift of eternal life and the prize and the commitment of discipleship and reward and rulership in the kingdom. We understand there's a difference there. So, Lord, as we delve into the passage that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus this morning, while keeping Jesus' words uh, in the backdrop of our mind as we study this passage, Lord, I would pray that your Holy Spirit would work inside of each one of our lives to understand this passage, but also, Lord, I would pray that your Spirit would reveal in each one of us how Jesus himself wired each one. And Lord, that we would know how we were wired and that we would operate in that said gift. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. 
we fail continually, but you are always faithful. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you for that, Lord. So be with us in our time this morning as we delve into your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, if you turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, that's where we're going to be in. Anybody basketball fans? Anybody following the Suns at all? Anybody following the Suns? They're doing well. They're, yeah, I, I'm kind of like that too. Like I haven't followed them all year. And my son-in-law is a real basketball junkie. He says, hey, you know, they're, they're, they're like in the, they, they, they could be in the championship. I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? The Suns, they, they haven't been kind of in it for a long time, you know? And he goes, no, they're, they're, they're serious. So like last night, you know, I put on the game halfway through and I'm watching the end and they, they won. They took the lead three to one uh, in L.A., uh, and and, and it, it just reminded me, because I, I know my son-in-law said Chris Paul was out for a couple games, which he's like their lead star, and, you know, he was missing. And so they, they might, might have even done better with him, you know, than losing without him. But it kind of reminded me, like, I'm like, can you imagine a basketball team, right? There's five guys on the court, right? Everybody know that? I mean, even if you don't know about basketball too much, there's five guys on the court. Can you imagine taking one away and saying, you have to play with only four. By the way, soccer's a little bit like that. I'm watching the Euro Cup, you know, our family's Italian. And so we, we were from New Jersey and we love the Italian soccer national team. And so we follow that and they have 11 guys right on the field. But if somebody gets a red card, they're pulled out, right? And all of a sudden you got th this idea that you're playing shorthanded. But can you imagine a basketball game where all of a sudden you're, you're missing a guy? right? And you have to play five on four and you're the four, right? Like the chances of winning, what do you think? Slim to none, right? Probably none. I'm saying slim because I guess miracles happen, but slim to none. I think that that's what the church is doing. You know, you wonder why the church in the West is tanking. Now, this is even pre-COVID, right? So we're not even talking COVID here. We're talking about before COVID, the church and when I say the church, the big church, big C, the, 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 the body of Christ, right? Because that's, that's what I'm talking to here about. I'm not talking about necessarily a certain building. I'm talking about the body of Christ here in the West, right? Canada, America, like we're sinking before COVID. Like numbers are just keep going down. Churches are closing all around. Sometimes I hear people say, well, my church is, my church is growing. Yeah, but that's because 10 in your city closed down. Where do you think they're all going to go? Like, don't, don't be so proud of that, right? That's called transfer growth, right? Not organic growth. So it's not that big of a deal that your church may see a little influx when 10 are shutting down around you. So we know that this is what's been happening in the church in the West for a number of years. In fact, I was talking to my new friend over here who we talked about how it's now starting to be where other countries are sending missionaries here. Can you imagine? Like we used to be the country sending out missionaries. Now Christians from around the world are coming here because mama needs help. We're sick. And they're coming here. And we're running on a deficiency. Now all of a sudden, boom, you, you see COVID hit. And, and like I said, I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime. And I'm so grateful to the Lord for COVID. I know you're going to think that that's really crazy. And I'm not grateful for the bad stuff that happened to COVID, people who lost their lives, got sick, all of that. That's not what I'm grateful for. 
but I am grateful for the fact that in my lifetime, I got to see what the church could look like with closed doors. I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime. I really didn't. But people from around the world have experienced that in the underground church. That's normal for them not to be able to freely assemble like we're doing this morning. So how do they, and by the way, those people, the church is on the incline. Uh, you figure it out. Why is that? So it was one of those shockers for me. And I just, I, I do thank the Lord that he gave me the privilege of seeing it in my lifetime of the church. And I got to speak to a lot of people. I don't think everybody. I think some people just like look at it and say, oh, boo-hoo, the church is closed for six weeks or eight weeks or whatever. And, uh, and then now we're back to business as usual, which is scary because I don't want to be back to business as usual. I want to reset, right? All right. I'm going to go off on a tangent. Sometimes I do that. I get on my hobby horse. So I got to rein it in. Let's go to Ephesians. Okay, the book of Ephesians. Now, anybody know who wrote the book of Ephesians? Paul, right? The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. Who did he write it to? Who's his audience? Church at Ephesus, okay? So believers... Right, born again, believers, going to heaven, they got it. They understand the free grace message of faith alone in Jesus. They've got it, right? Now they're a church, and he's going to give them general instruction, right? By the way, he wrote this letter probably in his imprisonment. And if you look chronologically speaking, if you go to the end of the book of Acts, you'll see he's under house arrest. And he has a lot of liberty under house arrest. He can get some visitors coming in, and he has some time to write. And so this is part of a package of letters that we often call the prison epistles. You might have heard that term, the, the prison epistles. Paul writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, right under this grouping called the prison epistles. So dating-wise, we're, we're talking about somewhere around AD 60, 60, 62, somewhere in that point. So we're talking about, what, 25 years or so, give or take a few years, after Jesus left the scene. So not a whole lot of time, right? Not, we're not talking hundreds of years. We're talking about 25 years or so after Jesus left the scene. Paul is in this Roman prison under house arrest, right? At the end of Acts, and he's writing this, these letters, right? And he's, like I said, he's writing to a couple churches and an individual. How would you, does anybody know? I mean, if, so, if somebody were to ask you, how would you break down the book of Ephesians? I mean... You don't have to be, you know, don't worry about being wrong or being not as precise as you may think I'm looking for. But there's six chapters in the book of Ephesians, right? There's six. So it's not a real long letter, um, relatively short. By the way, another thing you guys might try doing is reading the letters as a whole, right? That's a good thing to do. We, we, we do that now in a lot of our house churches, especially on the smaller letters, like read it as a whole because you get the emphasis of the message, right? You understand the writing as opposed to just cherry picking a few verses or dropping in on a, on a paragraph or two. You get the whole message. But if you had to say, break it down, what's the general emphasis of the letter? What is Paul trying to communicate to these believers in Ephesus? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's building, right? It's this, it's this book of edification of the church, right? Of Christians in general, corporately as the church. I would say you could probably put this to memory. I always like doing this with, with, with books of the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, is try to 
figure out a two or three bullet point outline that you can memorize and say, okay, I got that. So if somebody asks you, hey, what the book of uh, Ephesians is about, the thing that pops in my mind, if somebody were to ask me off the street, hey, what, what is Ephesians all about? Not like that, that's a major conversation that people come up to me in the grocery store and ask me, but you get what I mean. When we're talking about it, people might ask, what, what is this book about? I would say bullet point number one, chapters one through three is more theological in nature where chapters four and six are more practical in nature. I would say chapters one through three, the first part of Ephesians is more positional in nature. In other words, the position of the believer in Christ where four through six is more of conditional experience for the Christian, right? It's based on some conditions, right? In other words, Paul in the beginning part of the letter tells them how they have everything they need in Christ, everything. All spiritual blessings, right? If you read chapter one are theirs, right? You might be familiar with chapter two, right? Where, you know, for grace, you've been saved through faith, right? You, you know that Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 passage, right? Verse 10, you were created, you know, you're God's workmanship, created for good works, right? Everything is like positional or theological in those first three chapters where at the latter half of the letter, chapters four through six, the last three chapters are really about practical, conditional. So that's how I would, I mean, that, that, that's just a simple bullet point, one and two, right? If you just put that to memory, you know, six chapters, one through three, four through six, boom, you've got it, right? It's not fancy, right? I, can, I mean, we can all come up with better ones, but that'll at least keep it concrete in your mind. So this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So that would be on what? The latter half of the book, right? That would be switching from positional truths to conditional truths. They would be switching from more theology to more orthopraxy. How are we, how are we going to live this out, right? And so that's where we're at. So turn, if you can, to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at the first 16 verses, and um, obviously we're going to pay more attention to a couple verses and a little less attention to some others, um, just for sake of time. Um, but I'm hoping that if, um, if I don't get on too many tangents, which I'm going to really try hard to do, uh, we'll, we'll do a little maybe five-minute Q&A at the end. And so if there's something that maybe I glossed over or didn't explain well or whatever, maybe we can have some time to do that. The end of chapter three, right? Last two verses of chapter three says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. So you see this nice little break, right? You don't have to be you know, a theologian to figure out, okay, here's a nice little break. He concludes it with a nice amen, right? So end of thought, here, here we go. Now, now we're going to be moving on. Can somebody read chapter 4, 1 through 16? You, by the way, I don't know if you guys normally do this. I, I'm, I'm all for raising your hand, talking, asking questions, reading. I'm all for that. So don't think you're disrupting me at all. So can I get somebody who's going to volunteer just to read the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, 
being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called to in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all and in all. But each of us, I'm sorry, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he has, he ascended, I'm sorry, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who descended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to build the building up of the body of Christ. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a measure of to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of in deceit, schemes, but speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every Sorry, I ruined your reading. I don't know if it's my beard getting in the way of this. You guys hear me all right? Everything good? Just not going to happen today, huh? Okay, good. Thanks for reading those. What, what I'd like to do is spend just maybe a, a few minutes looking at the first six verses. I don't spend too much time here because, like I said, we've got two verses in particular that I think we want to spend the majority of our time. But I do want to look at this passage as a whole. Like I said earlier, I just it it that just goes against my nature to be able to go in and look at chapter four, verse eleven and twelve without kind of looking at what Paul is talking about here. So, the first six verses. What are some observations? By the way, does everybody know what observation is when you're when you're studying your Bible? what I mean by observations. By the way, I always want to teach people, you'll, you'll kind of know this about me, is, is this idea of I want you to be able to learn how to interpret scripture for yourself, right? I, I know a lot of Christians, unfortunately, they're just reliant on the guy up here, whether it's Rich or me or somebody else. I don't want that. I want you to be able to figure this out for yourself because I think we can all use some tools that help us to understand scripture on our own. Um, so look at the first six verses, right? 
a brother read the first 16 verses, the first six verses, what are some observations? Observations, just to, to clarify, are what does the text say? Not what does it mean? I don't, I don't want you to interpret, right? I don't want you to interpret it for me, not yet at least, right? I want you just to tell me, what are some things that pop out to you, the words on the pages, what does the text say? What is it? What are some things that are popping out to you? huge, right? Unity, just the word unity, like that's going to cover that first six verses, right? Is this idea of unity, a great observation, right? Now we might not know exactly what all that means yet, right? But yeah, unity is there. Anybody else, some observations? Yeah, there seems to be seven points, right? of unity, right? Seven things that we can identify that are points of unity. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. By the way, when it comes to spiritual gifts, you may also want to just put in your notes. You can go always head over to Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. These are all passages that give you more information about spiritual gifts, right? But we're leading up here, not necessarily to spiritual gifts per se, but to spiritual gifted men and women. All right? There's a distinction there, but we'll see that in a minute. What else? Any other observations that you see in the first six verses? All right, let's just take a look. I'm going to comment a little bit. And if you have questions, ask. And if you have comments of your own, that's fine as well. Paul says, I therefore, so this is at the end of, right? We, we, we read those last two verses of chapter three, right? Where he ends it with amen, right? And he says, I therefore, by the way, therefore is always like a good indicator, right? I, I, I highlight that type of stuff in my Bible. I'm like, therefore, okay, well, that's a tip off, right? That he's continuing some thinking from the, the previous verses, right? So because of what I said here, therefore, this, right? X, Y, Z, whatever he's going to be talking about next. I, therefore, Paul is talking, the prisoner of the Lord, which is interesting, right? He repeats that a couple times in here, talking about he's in prison. He's a prisoner. I think that's purposeful because I think what Paul is trying to do there is give a little bit of an example. I'm a, I'm a prisoner. I'm in chains right now when I'm doing this, guys, just so you know, right? the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which with you were called. Now, we don't really use the word beseech too much in our vocabulary, I think, anymore. Um, beseech just means beg or urge, right? I'm urging you. I'm begging you, right? Remember, this is conditional. This is not positional, right? Positional truth in the theology came in that first three chapters. Now he's starting to go into because of that. I'm begging you guys to do this, right? You know, I've, I've learned something about position and condition, right? Um, nothing we can do or not do in our condition ever changes our position. But if we focus on our position, it will almost always change our condition. And that's why I think Paul puts the position 
positional truths at the front end. Here's who you are in Christ. So therefore, walk worthy of the calling, right? Because, because of who you are, this is why you do. And I think that's important for us to understand because you know, sometimes we over-focus on our condition, ah, screwed up, I this, I that, I'm, oh, I messed up this. And, and, and we have to understand that never changes our position in Christ. But if we focus on our position, it most usually turns into an improvement of our condition. When we realize, when we walk out of here today and actually get the fact that we're sons and daughters of the most high, changes things, right? When we walk out of here realizing that in the very beginning in Genesis, God created us to rule and have dominion. And that Jesus wants the same thing for us at the end in Revelation, to rule and reign and have dominion. It changes things. The things that are so important, you know, maybe for our temporary life, just don't really become so important anymore because it changes things. So he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And now again, I want to say, what is that calling that we were called? I think it sets us up to what Jesus has said, go and make disciples. That's our calling. That's each one of our calling. Now, again, you may do it a little differently than I, and I may do it a little differently than you, but at the end of the day, we make hamburgers. You get what I'm saying? Like that's our business making disciples who make disciples. That's what we do. So he says, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And here's the how. As we walk worthy of this calling, we're to do so with all lowliness, right? And that word lowliness simply, I think you could probably better, uh, maybe some of your translations, if you're reading something other than New King James, would say humility with all humility or lowliness or, and gentleness, with long-suffering, this idea of patience, bearing with one another in love, right? How we relate to each other, right? Bearing with one another in love. Listen, all of us have the same plight. We have these things called the flesh, it's the body. It kind of makes us ugly sometimes, right? Uh, you know, I, I forget who it was, I think one of my, uh, Professors used to call, you know, we're constantly living in this tension of the new man or the new woman and having a sin hangover, right? Like it just, it, it's on us, right? And we all have to deal with this. And so sometimes I'm really not going to like some of the things you do. You're not going to like some of the things I do or say. And Paul here is saying, with all lowliness, gentleness, with long suffering, patience, bearing with one another. Verse three, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. One of the observations that I made in chapter three that I think is important to note here, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity. What is that? that? Doesn't that tell us that there's already unity? Like when Paul's writing this, he's, he's not saying get unity. He's saying, keep it. We've already established unity among us. Now make sure you're diligent to keep unity. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then his proof text, right, is he gives these seven points. Because there's one body, right? We're not disjointed. But there's one body. There's one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So one body, right? So there's one church. 
by the way, he's talking about universal, right? The universal church. We're the local expressions of a universal church. Think about it for 2000 years now, we're part of the same body that the apostle Paul was a part of. We're part of the same body that the 12 apostles were part of. We're part of that same body, right? The big C, church. Then you have the local expression of the church, which is little C or, you know, Paradise Springs or Lifehouse Community Church in Surprise or wherever these little bodies are. But we're one body, one spirit, right? There's only one Holy Spirit. There's only one church, just as you were called in one hope. Again, I think that hope of our calling is the salvation that we find in, in Jesus by faith alone. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. In other words, when you put you're, when you place your faith and your trust in Jesus and him alone, you're baptized into the family, right? You're one baptism, one God and father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So it seems to me in four, one through six, that this idea of unity, right, is, is, is big in keeping that unity. How do we keep the unity of the faith? And so here's a list of little things that I would challenge you to do. Just make a list of those things and say, here's how I'm going to attempt to, to, to do that. How am I keeping the unity of faith in my brothers and sisters here at uh, Paradise Springs? And then I think this section, um, it, it's kind of interesting because there's this little bracketed section that when, when he read it, I don't know if you were reading it with him, but you kind of, at first read, you're just like, what the heck? is he talking about, right? Ascended, descended, captivities, captive, what the heck is going on, right? Well, I, I, I think there's an easy explanation for it. Um, I'll, I'll give you two versions or two views that I think most people have for it. Um, but the way I wrote it in my Bible, the way I have it highlighted in my Bible is, is I look at verse seven, right? So take a look at verse seven. It says, but to each one of us, so Paul is including himself, right? Whenever you see the word us there, right? You have to be thinking to yourself, what? The author's including himself, right? He's talking about us, so Paul and them. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ gives a gift to everyone. Does everybody get that? Not just to me not just to Pastor Rich, not just to Billy Graham, to all of us. Christ gives a gift. Now, verse 8 through 10, I'm going to read it real quick. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because this, you know, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily give too much to, to, to what we're going to be talking about this morning. But Paul quotes out of Psalm 68, 18, and he says, therefore, because Christ gives these gifts to everyone, by the way, you, it's almost, I don't, I don't want to say take it out, but like if you took eight through 10 out, right? Picture you taking eight through 10 out and say, verse seven, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. Some, you see what I'm saying? It almost, seven and 11 almost kind of, tie in besides, besides this weird bracket of eight through 10. That sounds a little funky, but we'll, we'll look at it because I don't want to just ignore it. He says, therefore, he says, 
When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So he's quoting out of Psalm 68 here. And I think what Paul is trying to say is, is when Jesus ascended, in other words, when he left, right? Acts chapter two, right? Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, the church starts. So when Jesus left, right? When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. We were under captivity, right? Before the death of Christ, right? We were, we were slaves to sin. We were in bondage to the devil. And Jesus led us who were in captivity, captive himself, right? You might remember the, the verse that Paul uses, we've been bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. I'm not my own anymore. Jesus paid a price for us. We now belong to him. So I think he's using this Old Testament passage by, and using it in such a way where he says, when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And when he led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. And not just men, you know, men and women, all of us, right? He gave gifts to us. Verse 9 and 10, this is where it gets even a little trickier, but we'll, we'll, we'll go through it relatively quick. Now this he ascended, what does it mean that he ascended, but, it, but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So there's two views here. You can pick your own. This is not, a, it, it, this is not one that if you hold a different view than me that we have to fight outside or anything, it's not that big of a deal, right? But there's two, there's two views. There's the view that this is all Paul here is saying is when Jesus came to earth, right, in the incarnation, he descended, right? Because the sun was always pre, you know, existed from all eternity, right? The sun has always been the sun, the second person of the Trinity, right? And so when he came in the incarnation and became Jesus of Nazareth, what did he do? He descended. And then when he went back up to heaven, he what? He ascended, right? So there's a very basic, simple way of understanding that. The second alternative view, right, is that some would, would hold that this is talking about when Jesus died during his time of burial, right, what happened between death and the resurrection, right, the, the, what happened that Saturday, right, some would hold to the fact that he went into Hades, right, and that he descended into the lower parts of the earth, into Hades, right, and led captivity. Cap so there's a view there that, that goes there um, that you could hold to, or you can just hold to a very simple view that it's talking about when he came down to earth and then when he went back up to heaven. Very simple. I hold to the latter view only because I think the grammar here kind of leads me more towards that latter view, but the simple, I, I almost wish I could hold to the simple view because I like it simple. <laughs> I really do. So if you hold to that, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think I hold to the latter view. Uh, I think it has a little bit more merit here. But those are your two, your two options here. So verse 9 and 10. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended, right? R rose from the dead far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So again, completing the work, right? And now we have our two verses that we really want to kind of explore this morning. 
Verse 11 says, and he, gave, he himself, in other words, Christ, right? He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. So let's look at those five. It's, we, we, I, I typically use the term apest. Anybody ever hear that term before, apest? It's just a way of making it easy and say an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. I'll, I'll use the word apes so you'll know what I mean. When I say the word apes, I just mean the fivefold gifting, right? So here, Scripture is telling us that Jesus himself gave some men and women to be apostles, some men and women to be prophets, some men and women to be evangelists, some men and women to be shepherds, some men and women to be teachers, right? He striped us all. Now, let's break this down for a little bit, if we can. Jesus, right? Scripture tells us in, what is it, Hebrews 3, that he's the great apostle, right? We know Jesus is the ultimate prophet, right? Don't get me wrong, he's more than just a prophet, right? Because you'll run into some people who say, oh, no, he was a great prophet, but he's not the son of God, and he's not. No, I'm not saying that. He is the son of God, but he's also the greatest prophet, right? The final prophet. Again, the writer of Hebrews says, in these last days, he spoke through son. In other words, he used to speak to the fathers through the prophets, right? Hebrews 1 says this. But in last, these last days, he spoke to us through son. So Jesus is the great apostle, greatest prophet, best evangelist I know by you, right? I mean, he's, he's a uh, a good news bearer. That, by the way, that the word evangelion, the word evangelist, that means good news bearer, right? You bear good news. That's why, like, also we have to look at when we're looking at scripture, and this is a little bit of a tangent here, but when you see the word evangelism or evangelist, you want to say good news of what? Because there's a lot of good news, isn't there? Like, there, you, you might say, hey, the, the, the gospel is that we get to leave in a little while and this guy's done talking, right? It's good news. We get to get out of here, right? I mean, there's a lot of good news. And so evangelion just simply means good news. And so Jesus is the epitome, right, of good news bearer. He's the greatest evangelist. By the way, Psalm 23 would tell us, right, he's the great shepherd, right? He's, he's, he's the ultimate pastor, shepherd. And of course, as a rabbi and his disciples would say, he's the master teacher, right? I mean, we can learn how to teach from Jesus. He's the master teacher. So in Jesus, these five-fold giftings exist in their totality, right? He is the complete package, Jesus. Now, get this. It would be reasonable for me to think that if he lives inside of each one of us, and we would all agree that he does, that means latent in us is this five-fold ministry. It's latent in us. Now, Here's the catch, um, and, and it took me a long time to really put this together and think through this. Um, I think latent in each one of us is these fivefold giftings. Now, I think some are stronger than others. In other words, I think Jesus stripes us differently, okay? And so, you know, for me, I'm more of an apostolic teacher. Now, we're going to get into the whole apostolic thing because I don't want anybody to run out the doors thinking I'm like, equating myself with Paul in the 12. That's not what I'm saying by that okay, at all. There is something very, very unique about the 12. 
that can't be replicated today. There's something very unique about the New Testament uh, apostles. By the way, Paul being one of them, Barnabas was called an apostle. Even Junia, which most scholars believe was a woman, is called an apostle in the New Testament. So I'm not equating myself with a New Testament apostle. And so I make a designation. A lot of times I'll, I'll say, I'm talking about little A, not big A. <laughs> big A, yeah, I get it, reserved for New Testament apostles. I'm not trying to mimic that. I'm not trying to say I'm on I'm, I'm that. I think there are some denominations out there that would like to say, you could replicate big A today. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think you can, okay? But what I mean by apostle, I mean sent one. So let's take a look at each one of these. We'll start with the apostles now that I mentioned it. The word apostle here is in the Greek is this word apostolos, and it simply means sent one. In fact, um, un unfortunately, we lost that term uh, in, in our church because when it gets translated into Latin, it becomes the word missio, which is where you get your word, what do you think? Missionary, right? Missionary is where you get, is from the Latin term missio, which comes from the Greek term apostolos, right? And so we've lost that kind of apostolos verbiage and we've gone with missionaries. So think about it, your missionaries are sent ones. Now we were talking about earlier, earlier before, unfortunately in our day and age, when we think of missionary, we think of somebody who goes to Africa, right? Or at least that's how I always, you know, oh, the jungle, yeah, you go, you're, you're a missionary, right? What if we started thinking of missionary as this neighborhood? What if we started thinking of it as the house to my right, the house to my left, the house across the street and the house behind me? What would happen if every Christian committed themselves today to just those four homes? The one across from you, the one behind you, the one to your right and left. If every believer in America committed to that today, we would change things almost overnight. But when we think missionary, we think, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's there, that's not here. But what if it's not? So when I look at apostles and I use the word, uh, I use the, the term little a apostles, what I mean by that is the sent ones. People who Jesus wires, right? Gives, gives us special grace to that are the ones that just wanna keep going, right? They wanna start new works, right? I wanna start new things. Hey, I, I have a vision that we can do. You know, I mean, even just to give you an example, and I, I told you I'm more of an apostolic teacher. My first bent when I'm walking the property with you this morning, Ned, right? And the, the whole homeless debacle. Man, I wonder how, how do we get th uh, this to, to be, how do we start a ministry for the homeless so that we can make this thing work? That's more apostolic. In other words, you're always thinking of how do I get out the building and start new things? So Christ might've wired some of you in this room in, in a very similar manner. Maybe, it, maybe you're an entrepreneurial type, right? If you're an, that's, that's what, by the way, that's the world's term for apostle, entrepreneur. <laughs> they wanna start new things. They're not satisfied with a white collar desk job for 35 years in a retirement. They're just, they, they, they'll go crazy if that ever happened. By the way, it took me a long time to figure that out for me. And, I, and I'll get into it in a minute of being a pastor, right? Like, I cringe. 
I can't, I can't do that. There's just no way I want to be confined to a building and this, uh, there's no way. So in any case, you have your apostles. He gave some to be prophets. And again, I want to use this word P in a little sense, right? I'm not, again, not saying that there's big P prophets. I'm not saying that there's Elijah, you know, out there and Moses and all that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is what is the gift of prophets, right? And the Greek word there is prophetis. It's this, first of all, one of the major jobs, I think we forget this, of the Old Testament prophet, even the New Testament prophet, is one that was a giver of the word, one who constantly pushes into the word, one who's constantly pointing people to have communication with God, listening to God, right? See, there are certain people in our midst, right, that have that prophetic tendency, right, where we're, we're talking to them and they're like, yeah, but the, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus, Jesus says that this needs to be, oh, yeah, that's right, okay. Those are our, the prophets that are in our midst. By the way, a uh, little, little tidbit, I made you a four-page handout. I am going to send this to Rich in a PDF form. And in your weekly um, email or whatever, he'll give you this. And this will give you a little bit more, uh, like just give you an example. I know some of you in the back row probably can't see this, but I've defined each of these things here and given you characteristics of each. And so you may want to look at these and have your spouse or family member or father, mother look at it and say, oh yeah, this, this is you, right? You'll know what Christ wired you and and also, I think people around you know. There's also another thing, if you have a, now that I think about it, if you have a pen and paper or, or something to take notes, if you want to take a diagnostic test to see how Christ wired you, I have found a very, very useful tool on something called APEST.org. So A-P-E-S-T, right? We already talked about APEST.org will lead you to a website that they give you a diagnostic test. I don't remember if it's 10 bucks or 20 bucks. It's relatively cheap. It will take you about a half hour to answer the questions and then it'll spit back like, here's kind of you know, what, you're, what you're wired at. The only thing, and, and this is important, if you decide to do that, um, and I even talked to Rich of, of possibly having like the elders do that as well. Um, if you decide to do that, answer truthfully. Now I know we don't lie, we're Christians, right? So why would Sam ever say that? Well, here's, here's why. When I took it, I was tempted to answer what I thought was right. Like, in other words, do you like when people come to your house? Absolutely not. I hate it. My wife, she's got the gift of hospitality. I do not. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit it, right? I, I do not. But I know that that's probably the right answer. I should probably say, yes, I do like that, right? And so don't answer that way, because then that screws up the, the evaluation. Answer the truth. In other words, here's what I am, warts and all, this is me. And then I think you'll, you'll, you'll get a, a pretty good result on it. So apest.org uh, for an evaluation test. This will come in your email uh, box that will give you a little bit more uh, definition to each of these terms. Evangelist. Now, oftentimes evangelist is misconstru misconstrued as somebody who likes to be out on the street corner with a bullhorn saying, turn or burn. Jesus is the way. That's not what an evangelist says. An evangelist is simply uh, somebody, like I said, the evangelion, the good news bearer. Did you ever run into people where just they ooze likability? In other words, people just gather when this person's there, right? They're the life of the party. 
right? They're good news bearers in word and deed. These are the people that people gather towards. They're dying to get close to, right? Those are your evangelists, right? Those are the people that are good news bearers that are bringing people in, right? Gathering them. We need that in the church, by the way, right? The next one is pastors, or some, some translations will say shepherds. It's actually shepherd is a better translation than pastor. In fact, I'm not going to get on a hobby horse here. I know we're kind of, what time uh, do you guys normally end? Remember, I'm a, I'm a professor too, so I've done four-hour lectures. Like, this is not a problem for me. Right about now? Okay, so I'll, I'll end this in about five minutes, okay? Just bear with me for five minutes. So some pastors, right, shepherds. Now, again, the gifting of this, right, is shepherding, caregiving, right? By the way, uh, again, I don't want to get on a hobby horse here, but this is not, this is the only time in the New Testament this is mentioned, and it's really not a title. It's a gifted individual. You have the gift of shepherding. You have the gift of caregiving, right? This, this is not meant to be taken as a title. So like when we get our, our terms like senior pastor, executive pastor, youth pastor, this pastor, that pastor, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not biblical, just so you know. I mean, it's not in the Bible, right? If you try to point, you point, you know, some people will try to point here and say, oh, we give some to be pastors. Well, actually, it's shepherds, and it's more gifted individual than a title. There's no title here. She's not given a title. There's one chief shepherd, right? And he's not any of us, right? So, so we have to keep that in mind. But there's a lot of, I think the church misses out on this because I think there are a lot of women in the church that get dismissed who have the gift of shepherding. They're shepherds by nature. They're caregivers by nature. I, I, and it saddens me that a lot of churches miss that because we've diminished that. Well, they can't be pastor. Well, they can't. Well, first of all, it's not a title. I'm not giving a title to anybody, but run in your gifting. Like if you shepherd, shepherd. That's what we're supposed to do. And I think the church is hindered by the lack of that. And of course, the last one is teachers. And teachers, again, let me describe it as um, people who can try to take complex ideas and complex theology and try to make it simple and understandable. I think that's the gift of a teacher. Um, in fact, James says, right? Not many of you should be teachers, right? <laughs> there's this idea, but there's teachers, all of us to, should teach to some degree. I've heard so many people say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching, so I don't teach. Well, yeah, but Hebrews says you all ought to be teachers by now. Instead, I've got to teach you the elementary principles over again. In other words, it's assumed that we all teach. By the way, that's the other thing, too, in these giftings. I want to, I want to make this clear. I think Jesus has striped each one of us with a stronger gifting than another, right? And so for me, I'm more of an apostolic teacher. For you, you might be more of an evangelistic shepherd, right? The church needs all five. It's kind of like what I said in the beginning, right? Can you imagine a basketball team playing four, missing that fifth? Can you imagine a, a car that's a six-cylinder car running on three cylinders? Not good, right? And so when we think to ourselves and we wonder why the American church or the Western church is going down, maybe it's because for a long, long time now, all we did was give credence to the shepherd teacher. In other words, if we can find a guy who is likable, who can kiss babies and do funerals and go on hospital visitations and can hold their own for 30 minutes up here. That's our guy. That's who we hire at the expense of the apostolic, prophetic, and evangelist. We've relegated them to the kind of parachurch 
stuff, right? But what if a church had two, three, or four leaders who were gifted, men and women in these positions, who submitted to each other's gifting and submitted to each other's authority in their gifting, maybe the church all of a sudden would start to have momentum. I think we're missing something because we've missed this. And I'll end here. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through 13 through 16, but that's, that's on point for me because uh, sometimes I get rambling, so it's my fault. But I do want to mention verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. So the reason Jesus gave each one of us a highlighted gifting, right? And again, it's more of a gifted man or woman than an actual gift itself. In other words, Christ gave some men and women to be apostles, some men and women to be prophets, some men and women to be evangelists to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Everybody needs to do stuff, right? We all have to make disciples who make disciples. And so he gives these gifted men and women so that we can be better disciples who make better disciples and for building up the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith. All right, I promised you a little bit of Q&A time. I know we're kind of out of time now. Anybody have just, I mean, maybe, maybe this will help. I'm hoping this will help. Um, this handout that you get, um, and, and maybe, you know, you can get my number from Rich anytime. I'm, I'm up for coffee, uh, lunch. Uh, I'd love to, to explore this further with you guys, maybe at a later date, but any, any thoughts or questions or, or comments on this? Um, there's more that I, I wanted to present, but I didn't. Um, anything, any questions? Uh, I know nobody really wants to be the person to do the question and keep you an extra five minutes. Well, the challenge I, I would say is twofold. The challenge is find out how Christ wired you. Don't let another day go by without finding out how he wired you because most Christians don't know what they are. And if you don't know what you are, well, you can only imagine you're not pretty useful but you, if you don't know what you are. So I, my challenge would be find out what you are. That's why I gave you that apest.org, this sheet, uh, talk with friends and family, like, what do you think about this? And how, did, how does this fit in? So find out who you are and then operate in such. Here's, and and the, the, the second part to that is operate in such. I can't tell you how many years of wasted ministry, um, relatively speaking. I don't want to say ministry was wasted. God, God redeems even our st stupid times and times that are unfruitful or whatever. But um, I would say so many wasted years of me trying to be a shepherd because that was my job title, but I was, Jesus didn't wire me for that. And because church in the West hires shepherd teachers, if, you, if, if you're looking for a job, then you're, you gotta be a shepherd and teacher, even if you're not wired as a shepherd. And I wasted a lot of time. It wasn't until I really realized, wait a minute, Christ wired me to be an apostolic leader one that makes movement happen, one that meets with guys who make things happen. You, you know what I mean? It wasn't until I understood that and started operating that, then all of a sudden ministries was no longer work. I could do it 40, you know, I could do it 40 hours with my eyes closed. But when I had the shepherd, 
go on hospital visitations, you know, marriage, funerals, all this stuff that shepherds do. I want to kill myself. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Now, if you talk to a shepherd, they'll say the opposite. They'll say, like, I could do 50 hours of this and, and I don't feel like I've worked. You know why? Because they're shepherds. And by the way, the other thing, and I'll leave you with this. I keep saying I'll leave you with something, but the, 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 the two, apostle, prophet, are tip, by, by the way, if you have all five of these in a local church, the, the, the two apostle prophet are your start and go team. Look at it that way. Your start and go team. And your pastor teacher is your uh, stay and grow team. So I like to look at start and go, stay and grow. And the church needs both. The evangelist is kind of the guy in the middle. He, he, he kind of like is the glue that holds everything together. But we need a start and go team and we need a stay and grow team. But unfortunately, most churches just hang their hat on the stay and grow. And there's no movement. There's no movement outside the walls. There's nothing happening because we've kind of relinquished the, the, the first two. So that would be my advice. Find out what you are. Find out how Christ wired you. Every one of us has been wired. So there, there's no excuse. You, you, you have a bent. Find out and then operate in it. Any other thoughts, questions? Oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah. And that's, and that's my point. Like we all have them. We all have to use them. And then we'll see, you know, I'm, here's, again, I, I'm, I'm trying to look at the clock and, and gauge you guys, but here, here's my, my, my point is, do you ever look at acts in the early church and you say, I've never experienced that. Like what I mean is, is like, 3,000 come to faith in a day and the, the, the church is just like vibrant and growing and things are catapulting all over and you're sitting there ah, I've never experienced anything like that. Well, I'm just suggesting, I'm not saying this is a cure-all, but what if the church started operating in its gifting and we were submissive to each other in our gifting? In other words, in our house churches, right? Like I said, I'm more the apostolic teacher. So when they're shepherding to get done, I, I am not the leader of our church. The shepherd lead, leads by shepherding. You know, if it comes time for us to think of, hey, how did we minister to our neighborhood? He's going to default to me as the apostolic guy. You see what I'm saying? And, and vice versa. So like you have two or three guys that are, that are submitting to each other in their, in their, uh, in their gifting. And um, we, we've seen some incredible movement and growth with that. Uh, as our as our foundation. So uh, just an interesting yeah. thing. Uh, I, I think this is so right on. Uh, just in my business, I uh, I actually switched to some people out of positions that I like. This one guy was like trying to make him something. Yeah. He wasn't. Yeah. And when I switched him, he w it was such a breeze. I mean, yeah. his whole demeanor. And uh, uh, I mean, he was dancing in the hallway. <laughs> I bet. And, uh, and, it's, and it switched the dynamics of the business. Yeah. It got much better. It operated. And so I can see how when you, as a church body, when, when people are, when they first understand this stuff, mm -hmm. and then when they're able to use it in conjunction, yeah. uh, it really, I feel like it really does have that. Uh, that energy and, and, and can happen. Yeah. And I think the pressure was never meant 
this is why we have so many moral failures or just burnout within the pastorate is because things were never meant to be on one guy's shoulders. We're just not, we're just, we're not built like that, right? So Jesus gives gifted men and women. We just have to, we have to, A, like I was answering you before, recognize what it is, because that's the first start. Most churches, you walk in, so tell me your gift. I don't know what my gift is. Well, we've got, to, we've got to evaluate that. We've got, we've got to figure that out. What is your gifting, right? And then once we've identified it, we release it to, to, to do what Christ had given us to do. Uh, and so for me, that was, it, I'm just sad that it took me so long to figure it out because like I said, I've wasted a lot of years, you know, being that shepherd, that pastor who, you know, had to do, now, now don't get me wrong. And I think I alluded to this before. Because Jesus lives in us, sometimes we have to do stuff that's outside our gifting. In other words, sometimes I have to go on a hospital visitation. Sometimes I have to do a funeral. Sometimes I have to do a wedding. Sometimes I have to be caregiving. Sometimes I have to do all this. But here's my point. If, if, if you have a 50-hour work week and you say, I'm going to shepherd five hours, I can do that. But if I have to shepherd 40 out of those 50 hours, like I said, I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to call, call it in. I'm, I'm ready to say, I'm done. I can't, I can't do it. So I think we have to somehow, you know, be able to, to flux a little bit, but it's when we put the majority of our time into an area where we're just not gifted. And we wonder why there's moral failure and burnout and everything else within the pastor. And we're going, you know, we, you know we're uh, the Titanic. So good. Any other thoughts or questions? I'm sorry for keeping you guys way longer than you're probably used to. Uh, like I said, I can, I can ramble on. I've taught for four hours. Even in our house churches, sometimes we go on for a couple hours. Um, so uh, forgive me. I, 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 I'm trying to find it. To how, how do I keep that 40-minute time frame? All right, let me pray. Lord, thanks uh, so much for giving us the opportunity to come today and just share your word a little bit and think through things. Lord, like I said, it, it, it does us no good to understand what your word says if we don't apply it. It does us no good um, to even memorize it if we don't apply it. And so, Lord, I would ask that each one of us um, today would make it our mission this week to investigate this uh, passage, to find out how you wired each and every one of us. Uh, and then Lord, uh, to be able to start to use it, to start to operate in that gifting. Um, Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. Uh, We're sorry for uh, the missed opportunities, the missed failures because of our ignorance. Um, Lord, we uh, pray that your spirit would continually work uh, in our lives. We thank you again for your faithfulness. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.